Hey guys and girls, another week, another episode of Molecule to Market to bring to your ears. As always, we're going to go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the pharma and biotech ecosystem with Mr. Tim Scott, who is president and CEO at Austin Pharmaceuticals. Wow, what a guest we have in store for you today. I'm going to entice this with telling you a bit about Tim's background. He brings more than 20 years of pharmaceutical contract development and manufacturing organization leadership experience. He previously was the co-founder and president at Pharmatech Laboratories, a CDMO where he held or he led the growth and ultimate sale of the company to Catalent. He currently serves on the boards of multiple organizations, including Avales Biosciences, DTX Pharma, Connect, Biocom, and the University of California, San Diego's Dean Advisory Council for the Division of Biologic Sciences. He previously served on the board of Zacron Pharmaceuticals, sold to Biomarin in 2014. At the UC of San Diego, Tim has founded and supported multiple biotech spinouts, including Zacron, Tega Therapeutics, Liponexis, Nobius Bio, Nereo, and Augment Biosciences. Mr. Scott earned his uh, BA in biochemistry from the University of San Diego, and his, uh, you know, and from and his JD from the University of San Diego as well. And if that's not enough, he is also a member of the California Bar. Super, super impressive guest, and he uh, eloquently shares his story today. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, please subscribe and rate wherever you are, but enjoy today's show. Mr. Tim Scott, welcome to Molecule to Market. Thanks, Roman. It's good to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Very excited to have you on the show. You have quite the story in your career you know, before you got to where you are today. So for our listener, Give us a little bit of the backstory, Tim, in terms of your career today and some of the kind of key milestones on on that journey. I may pause you at some points to ask more questions, but yeah, we'd love to hear the backstory. Well, I, I mean, I think it starts in the early years of why I became an entrepreneur. And, you know, I came from a lower middle income family. I was first in my family to go to college. I was never on an airplane until I was 20 years old. Uh, but I had this incredibly happy childhood, and it just led me to devour new experiences uh, with curiosity and wonderment. And and I think that that's that's part of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And 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 my my earlier seemed a bit circuitous in what I was doing, but in the end, I think that these are all just the skills that entrepreneurs in life science need to be uh, successful. And and so I started off as a as an undergrad and studying biochemistry at UC San Diego, but I also did a huge amount of undergraduate research with a guy named Joe Whitstone, who's a terrific researcher there. And and when I graduated, I had an opportunity to work in a lab for eighteen thousand dollars a year. And I thought there must be something more to life than little glory for eighteen grand a year. And I ended up taking a sales position with a company called Waters Chromatography, and that ended up being one of the one of the smartest things I ever did because sales is just such an incredible grassroots experience for business. Um, and I was working for a chromatography company, so it was great analytical chemistry training as well. And then after that, I went to law school 
uh, University of San Diego and worked at a company called Amlon Pharmaceuticals in the biotech sector for two brilliant uh, attorneys, Brad Duff and Nancy Dahl, and just learned a huge amount from them. And and what I realized through all of that was that I I didn't want to be at the bench, I doing chemistry. I didn't I didn't want to do sales my entire life, but it was a critical tool. And I also didn't want to practice law full time, but I knew that it was also a critical tool. And these all ended up being these skills that I was stacking without knowing uh, that kind of prepared myself for the for uh for my career in entrepreneurship and you've then done uh, you know did a few other roles tim until across the i suppose the mid 90s and then you know to the back end of or the start of the millennium when you started pharmatech before we get to the pharmatech story so what were some of those roles that you were involved in before actually you know establishing Pharmatech, could it be good to understand? You mentioned there the skills stacking. Presumably, then there was some experience in the mix that you had along the way that ultimately led to you deciding, actually, I'm going to co-found Pharmatech. Yeah, one of the probably craziest things that I did, at least my wife will tell you this, is that I left my legal career to start a consulting firm with a couple of friends. And this is back when starting a consulting firm didn't mean you know looking for work. It was we really thought that we could create this this firm that provided strategic support for life science companies. And it was called Lucid Biostrategies. And we did investor relations, corporate positioning, business plans. Um, and it really taught me that if you bring a bunch of smart people around the table, you can really do anything. And so that was that was really eye-opening for me and gave me a lot of confidence in attacking uh, problems that I hadn't you know, seen before. And that led to a couple of other startups. One was a pharmaceutical company called Diacron, uh, where we licensed some technology out of India. Um, and then another company was the internet company, because in the 90s, everybody had to start an internet company. Um, <laughs> <called> <laughs> that I was involved with. And uh, both of those were just tremendous experiences, um, especially the internet with the pace of everything that was happening uh, in business and, and, and acquisitions and roll-ups and, um, and fundraising. It was just a lot of fun, but it kind of prepared me. Like I said, created this stack of skills that I didn't realize it at the time, but really prepared me for doing what I'm doing today and what I did, uh, you know, leading into farms. So, Tim, where that takes us to uh, 1999 and the creation of PharmaTech. So, talk us through that founder story. And from my understanding, you were a co-founder there, so there was other people involved as well. But you know, what ultimately led to that business, and and then if you don't mind talking us through the growth of that business over the next fifteen, sixteen years or so. I had a good friend at Amelin Pharmaceuticals uh, when I was there, named Jeff Bibbs, who uh, was moonlighting in a contract research lab. And back then it was, you know, these were all kind of mom and pop uh, organizations, very small. And he was getting a lot of exp- interesting experience there. And I'm, I'm really grateful to Jeff for everything that he's taught me about drug development and and getting me into this business because it, it's really where I started to realize why I was put on this earth. Um, and uh, and he, brought, he brought that to me. And he said, you know, I think we can do this um, ourselves. And we 
pulled together $135,000 to start the company. And it was literally two guys in a garage, roll up door, uh, whole thing, and uh, a couple of HPLCs. And, and that was the start. And every project was profitable. Um, and every bit of money was put back into the company. And from that point on, for the next 17 years, we never raised any money from anybody, private equity, VC, uh, loans, anything else. Um, it was all, it was all on our own steep. Do you mind explaining, you know, if, if some of our listeners don't know PharmaTech or, you know, can't recall the business, talk us through the types of things that you ended up doing as a business from a capabilities perspective as well. In addition, obviously to the. Uh, kind of the growth trajectory of the business. Yeah, and this was a, this was at a time, mind you, uh, when the venture capital uh, money, which is which is always kind of on this ebb and flow, um, it was changing from funding companies that wanted to be fully integrated pharmaceutical companies or SIBCOs um, to saying, you know, we need preclinical candidates that are eighteen months away from the clinic and an IND, and so. In San Diego, you had a, a bunch of medicinal chemists that were starting up companies, but what you really needed for this this new ecosystem was pharmaceutical chemists, people that understood CMC and analytical development, formulation development, manufacturing, regulatory associated with filing INDs um, to the FDA. And so we started off as analytical chemistry laboratory that also did formulation development. And that really evolved into becoming a boutique formulation house um, where we were very good at solving problems of, of poor solubility with, with compounds. And then, and then supporting this early phase development um, through phase one and phase two clinical trials. If I understand correctly, the, the, company grew really well for the next 15, 16 years or so, and I believe up to about 200 people. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and, and it really, as we started it, that, that evolution of, of creating that company was based on a, a kind of a naive philosophy. We just said, look, we want, we want a, a company that employees want to be at, that want to work there, and we want to create a company that customers want to work with. Um, and that kind of evolved into something that was much more focused, which was, uh, uh, you know, a pillar of customer centricity and everything that we do, whether it was how we communicated, whether it was how we invoice the clients, but every system that we looked at, we said, it's gotta be client centric. And, um, and we also chose to hire a lot of young people and train the heck out of them. So training was a really important part of of building that company because keep in mind we didn't have a lot of pharmaceutical chemists um, in our in our uh, in our local area that we could hire so we had to have this workforce development program to develop so client sent client centricity uh, training the hell out of your team I love it these are these are things that are very close to my <laughs> to my chest and you know no doubt being part of the success that I've been fortunate to have in business and then. I suppose took us through the eventual exit of the business with Catalent, which I believe was back in uh, maybe 20, 2016 or so. You know, did did you guys get the business to a point where you wanted to, you know, I suppose 
realize the value in the business or was it a Catalan knocking on the door and you know they, they'd made a huge amount of acquisitions back at that time as well what was the what was the scenario that led to the ultimate kind of decision to, to sell the business well there was there was a couple of things uh, that were happening while we were building the company that kind of led into that and one of those things was that we became very good during the the 17 years uh, of building that company, we became very good at spray drying, which is a process for rendering molecules amorphous, um, which today is is the most popular process for dealing with poorly soluble compounds. And there wasn't very many companies out there that were good at this. Um, there was there was Bend up in Bend, Oregon. There was a Gear who's also in, in Bend, Oregon. Um, and these companies were getting purchased. And we were one of the companies left out there that did this well. And Catalan was one of the companies left that didn't have the, the spray drying as one of their services. Um, and so that, that led really easily for a conversation to occur. But the other thing that was happening during the course of, of building Pharmatech is that I met with every private equity group that ever wanted to meet with me. And I also met with every corporate partner um, on a regular basis. And so by the time it came to having those conversations about an exit, you know, we knew all the players, which was a very good position to be in. They knew us. And, you know, at, at the time I did not want to sell Pharmatech, but my partner was ready to retire. Jeff, Jeff wanted to retire. And I was very respectful of that. We had all of these relationships with Lanza and Thermo and Catalent. And, and so we ran a process. Uh, and, uh, and I think one of the most important things about that entire process and, and going through it because it affects all of your employees and these are these are you know 200 families that you're responsible for and one of the things that we felt really good about was the fact that every single employee at stock company that was commensurate to uh, their position in the company and so when we when we were able to sell the company everybody benefited from that through the work they put into and and what was your you know someone that's you know, been through this process relatively recently when I took remarketing through a process in 2021 and ultimately led to a private equity investment in 2022. What, what, how did you think about private equity versus the big trade options? Because I, I assume given the growth of the business, the area of expertise, you would, you were not short of, of companies and I suppose acquirers that were interested in, in taking the business. Yeah, it's a really good question because there's the acquisition of by a strategic versus a private equity are two completely different things. And I was very interested in working with a private equity group because the strategies there are developing a roll up and, and bringing in other technologies and companies and having resources to be able to do it faster was really attractive to me because I still wanted to um, drive the business forward. You know, we had built it over 17 years. Um, but the ability to build something faster was really attractive to me. Um, at the same time, strategics tend to pay more um, for a company because um, in our case, spray drying was a really important um, technology that Catalan wanted to bring in. So they were willing to pay a premium for that. And, uh, and so because my partner was retiring and I was going on, it wasn't fair for me to sell at a lower price to a private equity because I want to keep going. Um, we, we decided to take the higher price with Catalan um, because that would have been that was a more fair deal for Jeff. 
Talk me through the conversation with your family the day or night the deal was done. I'm sure you were very tired <laughs> by this point, but you know, 16, 17 years of of risk taking, of you know, curiosity and wonderment, as you said right at the start, led to this presumably a you know a very considerable exit for you and Jeff. What what were your your emotions like at that point? Was it popping corks and drinking champagne in the celebratory part of it um or was was there a part of you that was quite sad knowing that pharmatech would become you know a part of catland quite quickly yeah well anybody that's been through that process as you know it's a long slog you just want to sleep right tim you just want to sleep by the end (laughs) it's a long slog and you have this obligatory uh champagne toast dinners and such but you're really frankly exhausted by the process but it's also exciting because, you know, by partnering with Catalent, it was really nice to be have the resources and the backing of a large CMO to do a lot of things that you were doing internally, whether it was additional CapEx purchases um, or things that you wanted to do with the employees for training and such. But at the same time, you wanted to maintain the culture of the organization. And I, I remember talking to John Chaminsky, the CEO of uh of Catalan at the time um, during our our assimilation or integration into the company. And he said, you know, Tim, I, I just want to make sure that we don't roll the Catalan log onto the Pharmatech fire and put it out because that's so important and that's why we're buying the company. And uh, and after about a month of this uh, integration process, I came back to him and said, look, uh, a thousand sticks is the same as the log. Um, in putting out the fire. So um, it can be very difficult and you have to really work at it. And we're very fortunate, um, and the site's very fortunate, because I think it's performing incredibly well for cattle. It's one of the, one of the best performing sites that they have. Um, but they've also been able to ma- maintain the culture. And that's really um, a credit to Brian Knox, who was employee number one at Tech. And is now the GM at that site. Wow. Um, Francesco Sherrod, uh, who's the finance person there, head of finance, and Amy Baker, who's head of HR. Those three people led that team, maintained the culture, and still supported uh, the goals of Catalent. Um, and then you've got leadership within the science team uh, in Meredith Ferry and John Scrafford. And these were people that were driving science forward successfully. And, and maintaining that culture with all of the employees. So they kept the fire burning, and that was, that was what was important, and that's, that's part of the culture and, and why people were so high-performing in that organization. And what about you and all of this? You know, the, you said assimilation, and, you know, I suppose, was there a period of thinking from your personal perspective whether you wanted to be part of, of a bigger company like Catalan, you know, someone that is, and has been very entrepreneurial in your career. I can only guess that you know it, and it's, this is not a this is nothing to do with Catalan, but when you're in a large organization, you lose some of that freedom and agility as an entrepreneur to kind of do what you want or do what you think's best. So, how was your mindset at that point in terms of deciding when when the right time was to leave? Yeah, I didn't do well with it actually because I was so eager to start something else. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I was supposed to stay on for a year to help with the integration. And I think I was, I think I was gone in three months. Um, although it was, it was mutual, we just decided that, you know, what I had accomplished was done and, 
and I could move into other things. So I, I was really looking forward to to getting into the biotech side and, and trying my hand at some of that. While at the same time, I think that, you know, I really did miss the people. I wanted to make sure that they were supported and that they had a good path forward. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. So, well, first, congratulations. I mean, because, you know, I appreciate it was a few years ago now, but I remember distinctly when the PharmaTech deal happened. And I know this because, you know, we were working with uh, Juniper Pharma Services in the UK at the time, which was also bought by Catalint around that time as well. And we we're also doing some work in the Spray Ryan space. And I got to work very closely with the entrepreneurs and, and senior team behind that business that ultimately led to an exit. And I think given the experience that you'd had up to that point, uh, Tim, I think, you know, it's a real feather in the cap of an entrepreneur to have gone through a successful ac- exit like you did. So you're, you know, it's 2017 or so you're kind of presumably, you know, paying the bills is less of an issue now. Were you, were you, tempted to kind of retire at that point or were you very much uh deciding okay you want to get into the biotech space and do something in that space and and please talk us through what you did next you know one of the things that led me into working on the biotech side was that in 2014 um uh and actually earlier i was involved with a company called zacharon and i served on the board and we eventually sold that company to biomarin and it was a great experience and I thought, wow, I'd really like to have more of that. So in 2014, the founders of Zach, Ron, and I, we all got together and said, let's let's start another company called Tiga Therapeutics. And we incubated it. And when Catalan bought the company, they said, we don't know who those people are, but they need to get out. Um, and so we, we moved. And it was about the right timing to move the company uh, off campus, raise a little bit of money, and uh, and and make a go of it. And... And so we were on campus at UC San Diego, and I got to meet a bunch of professors. Once they knew that a biotech was was living on campus, um, they all just started showing up and talking about their ideas that they had for for new technologies. And it was the most fun you could ever have because these are super enthusiastic researchers and, and PhD candidates that have great ideas. and And I'm always, I always hook, line, and sink, or take these debate on this and just think, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And, <laughs> and so for the next five years, I just had a blast taking these technologies, developing an investment thesis with the professor, and then going to JP Morgan or Bio and pitching it. I mean, it was a huge amount of fun. Um, the challenge was you're now not in the private equity world so much as you're in the VC world, so you're developing an entirely new set of contacts. And, and that takes years. Um, to be able to develop those relationships. I suppose that kind of pitching to these investors and kind of taking the technology, were you were you at any point kind of getting fatigued by doing this or do you just is that just part of who you are as an entrepreneur? There was some frustration. Um, and you you know what you have is valuable and you know that you can serve patients. But sometimes the system is against you. And a, and a good example of that is a technology that we were working with for a rare disease called lysosomal storage disorder. These children are missing a critical enzyme. And 
And you know that the best way to treat these patients is by replacing that enzyme. And so enzyme replacement therapy, which has been approved for certain lysosomal storage disorders, is a natural way to to help these children get to the next level and, and survive in some cases. And and things were stacked against us though, because you know, you have venture capitalists that want to go after uh, things like cell and gene therapies. And you know that in 10 or 15 years, that is going to be the solution. But for that next 10 or 15 years, why not have an enzyme replacement therapy treating kids that, that need to be treated today? Um, so that was frustrating. And then the regulatory process is also frustrating because everybody in the world knows these kids need to have this enzyme replaced. And yet the regulatory authorities are hesitant to allow surrogate markers, for example, um, to, to show efficacy, um, that see behavioral. And so that means very difficult clinical trials that, that these companies are having to go through to do that. So, so, you know, you learn a lot by going through this process of, you know, years of, of working with VCs and, and pitching them different ideas and, and, and some of it can be frustrating, but also, um, you also have some opportunities where just really miraculous things happen and, there's drugs on the market that are just miracle drugs, especially in areas of cancer. It's just amazing what has what has happened in the last 30 years. And that brings me nicely on to your current role at Austin Pharmaceuticals, which had a name change. And I'm going to ask you to to talk through what the thinking was behind the brand name and actually the, the there was a business there in before that in the the decision to change the name, but. What was it about this opportunity and this company and the location in Austin that, uh, you know, that enticed you to do another CDMO role? It's been a few years <laughs> since you were on that side of the fence. So curious to know what took you back in, in that direction. Yeah, at the beginning of 2022, my good friend Elizabeth Hickman uh, called me about a technology in Austin that she was very interested in. Um, she lives in Austin. She was a she was a, a employee of ours at Pharmatech, and she was a remote employee before that was a thing. Um, and she taught me how to do things like Skype back in the day. So she called and said, "There's this interesting technology out of UT Austin. Uh, the company's currently called Dispersol. The technology is called Kinetosol. Um, and uh, you know, I'm interested in this company. Would you mind talking to the, the venture group that's supporting it?" And it turns out I knew them. It's a guy named Shock Patrick at RCT based in Tucson. Um, he said, Hey, can you come come down to Austin and take a look at this technology? You know, we've been struggling with with the business model. And so I went down and and, and looked at Kinetosol. I met with the team that had developed it. Um, and it was very clear to me. This is a guy coming from spray drying background that made a lot of money building a company around spray drying and then selling that company to Catalan. And I saw Kinetosol and realized that it was better than spray drying in every single way. And, and not, not, not because, you know, mainly because it was technology just advanced. I mean, spray drying has been around for a while. And this, this group out of the Williams lab at UT Austin, very smart group of, of drug development and delivery people, um, had been working on this for years. So this technology um, was being developed over the last 15 years. By by a by a really brilliant team, and it's better. And, and when you look at it, you realize it's better in every way because it's more efficient. It's got a smaller footprint, especially for the larger scale. 
Um, it doesn't use any organic solvent. Spray dryers use a ton of organic solvent, um, and it doesn't use any nitrogen. Uh, it's got a better design space. It's different particle morphologies. I mean, everything about it, when you look at it, says this is the way to render molecules in motions, and this should be replacing spray dryers. And so that, to me, the technology and the team was really what got me excited about the opportunity and 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 the, the ability to be able to go build a team again um to be able to do this was very exciting so it didn't matter to me that it was in austin but uh thankfully austin is a wonderful place yeah, i was gonna say there are um, there are worse places in the world than austin <laughs> yeah so it's a it's a terrific it's an easy commute it's a terrific place to be um the team's wonderful and uh you know they were three incredibly bright scientists uh, that came out of the Williams lab, all, all PhDs. Um, and, uh, and this is Dave, Dave Miller and Chris Bruff and, and, uh, and Justin Keen. These are uh, just brilliant guys that, that had everything, all of the, the pieces in place and were just tweaking the business model to try to figure out the best way to make, create value out of this technology. And so they were trying to, uh, different things with large pharma companies and royalty plans. They were trying to develop their own internal products. And, and what we realized as we started talking about it as a group was, we need to get this in more molecules. To create value in kinetosol, we need to have kinetosol in 100 molecules moving into the clinic in the next three years. And if we do that, we're going to be creating really real value um, in this technology. Just so I understand, just so before you arrived in the business was it almost a, a company developing a tech a technology at this point and trying to work out how to navigate like what the routes to market was and was it then your decision to say well actually if we pivot this business into a, a cdmo business we're going to get access to multiple products multiple pipelines to be able to really get this technology into that 100 plus molecules is that I'm maybe paraphrasing a little bit there. Is that is that a correct understanding? Yeah, the the previous six years, the company had been involved in developing its own products, mainly looking at uh, existing products on the market that they could improve, and uh, and that was through a five hundred five p two process. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, the the nice thing about that six year period was that we accomplished two very important things. One was the company showed the FDA what kinetosol was, and the FDA looked at the technology and said, this makes good sense to us. Um, you're finding another way to create an amorphous version. We've seen these before. So that was a very important check mark from a regulatory perspective. The second thing that they did that was very important was they created a path to commercial uh, manufacturing. And so the ability to be able to put a large-scale kinetosol unit in a commercial facility like Catalent allowed us to show that there was a path for any molecule or any company that wanted to, to utilize kinetosol, there was a path to commercialization. And so and so those were two very critical things that happened. And those those products that they've developed are still products that we're looking to license. But what we realized, and it was a group, a group effort to realize that if we're going to create value in this, if if we try to create value in a couple of molecules, then the only way the company achieves value is if those molecules go to market, they're successful. And we know the odds of, of molecules um, getting to commercialization. 
So we dramatically improve the odds if we put the technology into 100 molecules moving into the clinic as opposed to just a handful. And so that was really the tweak in the business model that we needed. We're still doing the same things. Our formulation people are still formulating drugs. Analytical people are still developing analytical methods. And our manufacturing people are still manufacturing. But now instead of just in our, our internal products, we're now providing this uh, as a service to customers. So we're now a CDMO plus, the CDMO being agnostic product development company that takes on all molecules. The plus being, if you've got a poorly soluble molecule, we're going to, we've got Kinetosol um, to to solve that problem as well as a whole host of other tools. And, and the technology is your proprietary technology, and that's as in that's built within your business. That's not something you would license elsewhere in the market. Yeah, it's a proprietary technology. Okay, fantastic. Wow, very exciting. So what's the plan for the next few years then? Are you going to, are you on... Is it a Pharmatech 2.0 effectively where you're going to try and use the expertise, the technology, the fantastic team that you've got in Austin to build this business in the next few years? And then I'm not going to predict the future, but maybe do another exit at some point in time. We, uh, we're putting the pieces in place to build the company and, and we're on our way. And that feels really good. Our first half numbers of this year look great. Um, and so... We know how to build a CDMO. The question is, does the plus create this really disruptive technology, which we think it will, um, in the industry? It's a billion-dollar plus spray drying industry, and we think that we think that Kinetosol is the disruptive technology that can displace it. But we need to go out and prove it, and and that's what we're doing right now. So that's that's the adventure uh, that we're on at Austin Pharmaceutics. Do you, I suppose this is for my own information, do you, do you envisage your technology or this platform being able to displace spray drying altogether or do you see a world in that both of them exist as alternative ways, uh, you know, I suppose alternative pathways or technologies for companies to use? Yeah, our formulation chemists, every molecule that comes in, they look at it from a very holistic perspective. We look at all the preclinical testing uh, or pre-formulation testing information that's available, and we make the right decision for the molecule. We have spray drying in-house, and that's a very important thing uh, to mention, is that if spray drying is the right technology for that molecule, that's the technology that we'll use. What we have found is that 90% of the time, perhaps more, kinetosol works better than spray drying. That's incredible. And uh, I'm sure there are lots of people listening that either have spray drying technology in their business that are feeling a little bit worried right now, or, or actually there are lots of investors and people probably thinking, hmm, Austin Pharmaceuticals looks like an interesting company to keep an eye on, which is which is fantastic. And no doubt, Tim, you will continue to grow, grow the business. I wanted to switch gears slightly and ask about some of the things that you have done in your kind of illustrious career. One observation is that I don't think I've ever met anyone or looked at a LinkedIn profile with as many board positions as you have done in the last 20 years or so. Talk to us about either being a chairman of the board and being on the board, like you know, conducting in so many board roles. What What is that? What's your experience like of doing all those all, all those roles and why has it delivered so much value in your career? 
you know, part of it is that I just really have trouble saying no um, to people <laughs> and especially friends of mine, especially things that I care about. And so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very easy target. <laughs> Two organizations that I've been involved with, Connect and Biocon California, are organizations that have served me uh, in my early years and that I'm getting back to. And so Biocon California is a trade organization that represents 1,700 biotech companies in California. And they've, they've been very helpful uh, for PharmaTech in the early days, all of the companies that I've ever been involved with. Uh, in terms of helping us start and, and supporting us along the way. So um, I'm currently board chair there and loving it. And it just feels so good to be able to give back uh, to that community that you benefited from. Um, there's other organizations that I'm involved with that uh, I mentioned the lysosomal storage disorders um, and, and my involvement with that and TIGA. Um, that led to, to my involvement with the Radio Children's Institute for Genomic Medicine um, this is a very important uh, organization that is utilizing uh, uh, DNA sequencing to be able to understand disease and to be able to apply it to whole genome sequencing in newborns. So currently, newborn testing is a mishmash depending on which state uh, you happen to be in and what, what they test for. The, the beauty and the vision of whole genome screening is that you could test for 700 different diseases in a single heel stick. Uh, and so we've got the technology. Why don't we do it? Um, they're doing amazing things at, at the Children's Hospital there in San Diego. And, and that's going to be um, the next big thing that we're working on. It's called Beginnings. And it's uh, a new nor newborn genomic screening, which I'm really passionate about. Good good for you. And yeah, congratulations on, I suppose, uh, paying forward in, in working with great organizations like Biocom California and Connect that, you know, as you say, is giving back to the community that has you know, served you very well. And last last couple of minutes is we're, we're running out of time, unfortunately, Tim. As you look at the market today versus, you know, when you, you know, versus five years ago or so, seven or eight years ago when you left, pharma, left Pharmatech, what do you, what do you see ahead for the kind of wider biopharma pharma market in terms of where where the market's going and the opportunities that uh, you know provides you and your organization yeah the the wonderful thing about this market is that it's a ecosystem where all the players are reliant on each other so you have you have large pharmaceutical companies who obviously have sales revenue from the sale of molecules that they can use that funding to be able to to spend it to acquire new technologies You've got small biotech and pharma uh, startups um, that are that are nurturing technologies along in hopes that they can eventually either go public or sell it to to large pharma companies, which rely on that kind of uh, innovation. And then you've got all of these service providers who are just so critical uh, to the system, whether it's pharmaceutical services or whether it's attorneys or accountants. Um, all of it is just this this beautiful ecosystem that works really well and it evolves and it changes and it ebbs and flows. But, um, the people in it, um, care deeply about, uh, patient outcomes. And that's one of the reasons that we're, we're involved with this. And, and, you know, you, you don't think of that when you're talking to a group, uh, that does pharmaceutical chemistry, for example, because 
All, all we know is the, the molecule uh, structure and the physiochemical characteristics of that molecule. And so it's very important that we spend time with our employees, our chemists, helping them uh, understand what the disease is and the patient population and what the physician and patient journeys are in trying to deal with this disease. And I think that everybody that spends some time doing that realizes what an important part they play in the whole ecosystem. Yeah, that's that's genuinely fantastic. And, you know, it's great to hear the the kind of wider effort that you are involved in and that you care about, you know, away from just the the business success. And uh, yeah, you're a genuine inspiration for a young entrepreneur like myself, although I'm not that young anymore, unfortunately. But nevertheless, Tim, like your career success in life science space um, and then obviously the impact you're now having on drug development in a wider community both you know within Austin Pharmaceuticals but also the other roles that you do um, thank you for making the time I appreciate you I mean I was laughing before when you started the call because you said you didn't go on a flight till you were 20 years old and every time we've spoken or we, we've emailed you've been traveling on a flight ever since so I suspect life has changed dramatically since those uh, sort of and I'm very uh, grateful that your kind of curious wonderment around you know problem solving and stacking skills and all the great stuff that you did back in the day has led to a very successful career and huge impact on lots of people. So it's been great to have you on uh, as a guest on Molecule to Market. Well, thanks, Ramon, and thanks for the important role that you play in this ecosystem. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Wow. What a guest, I hope you'll agree what a terrific storyteller and what a story uh to tell so i really hope you enjoyed today's episode you know just reflecting back on the conversation it, i think it's worth saying you know i haven't met tim a couple of times he's such a humble guy and what i love about his i suppose humble nature is it's crazy considering the amount of success uh he's had and in particular you know obviously going into detail about the the founding story of of PharmaTech and ultimately how it led to you know went to the kind of exit with with Catalan and you know some points that I pulled out today that kind of focus on client centricity and I love this phrase like training the hell out of the team that contributed to growth so rather go rather than go down the the route of just hiring experience and paying high salaries you know his business took a much more kind of organic growth which ultimately led to the sale of the business and again. For many of you guys that are founders, CEOs, I suppose what I wanted to underline was just the value of having a real uh, niche or niche in this space. So in Pharmatech's uh, kind of story, that spray drying capability that they had ultimately was the thing that Catalent were looking for and that, you know, what brought them to the tables, even though it sounds like they weren't short of a few options. It was Catlin that ultimately uh, won the won the day in terms of winning the deal. And uh, you know, fair play to Tim for going into you know, for, I suppose sharing his vulnerabilities of why it wasn't uh, you know wasn't the thing for him to stay around in a larger organization. Uh, and ultimately, what's happened to that site and the kind of foundation he's put in place has nurtured into a fantastic business on on the west coast. You know, given. I suppose his uh, his achievements. Um, you know, presumably money's not the issue. It's fantastic to see someone like Tim have so many board positions and other positions as you could probably gather from his introduction at the start. And it's amazing to see that you know, I suppose almost at a 
giving back level, how he has supported companies. And ultimately, that led him back uh, you know, to the CDMO world or the CDMO plus world uh, in Austin, you know, working in his new uh, business, Austin Pharmaceutics. And, you know, he seemed super excited about the disruptive technology uh, that, that he's working on and his team are working on, which, you know, certainly watch this space to see how that business evolves and how its technology potentially helps get bring molecules to market. You know, it's it's great to see a disruptive technology in the space and whatever way you look at it, if it helps get molecules through the clinic quicker in a safe manner and to patients and that's what this is about and you know that goal of you know getting you know their technology into 100 plus molecules and into commercial products is is a fantastic one yeah i really enjoyed um this episode just you know any entrepreneur story as you guys know kind of floats my boat and you know it was it was great to hear him be so honest and so articulate about his story Thank you to my team, as always, for putting today's episode together. If you like today's show, please give us a nice like, maybe even put a kind comment and share the episode on LinkedIn with a colleague or with whoever you like. And if you're out and about in the back half of the year, the last quarter, let me know because I will probably be uh, lurking around at various events. Take care. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod, or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization, you think would make a great guest on Molecules Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.